we are in the middle, or I would say the beginning, of speaking about Torah and Hashemayim and what it entails and so on. We spoke a little bit last week. I would like, not to take a break, but I'd like to discuss a question I was asked off this specific topic. Uh, someone asked it to me uh, Friday, um, and it's a very important question because it represents a lot of different elements of what happens when you talk about Amuna and so on. Uh, so being that it's a kind of live series, not a canned series, I, I, I don't feel so guilty kind of taking a bit of a break. I don't know how long it will take us to discuss it, but um, it's not a direct at all continuation of Torah Shemaim, but rather going to a general issue about Amuna and so on. A boy in a class asked the following question to his Rebbe. If I were to prove to you that Torah is false, would you still believe in it? That was the way the question was put. Um, the Rebbe was flustered. His answer, I, I assume, I wasn't sitting in the class, was more or less, yes, you would still believe in it, which led the boy <coughs> to really come down strongly and say, so basically you're telling me that you believe in something true or not, and uh, there was a, a back and forth, uh, not a pleasant back and forth, and that was the question, uh, and so, so someone asked me, what, what, what is one answer, etc. So let me point out um, two or three aspects about this question and what the right answers are, and part of the challenge of having a conversation about um, what we'll call broadly philosophical topics. The first point is, um, and some philosophers have actually pointed out, um, have gone to big extremes in saying that all um, all paradoxes and all real problems of philosophy are matters of language. And if we're able to identify the language correctly, then um, we would not have these paradoxes and so on. Um, it's a very extreme position, but there's a lot of truth to it. And in our case, there are many layers of it, and we'll try to explore it. First, let's get to the basic question. If somebody were to prove to you that Torah was false, would you still believe in it? Now, let me ask a different question that has the same structure. And let's, it'll be easy to demonstrate certain points with it. If someone were to come to you and ask you, if I can prove to you that one is obligated to smack his wife, would you smack your wife? Um, there's only one correct answer for this, and the answer is certainly. Um, if it was proven that this is the right thing to do, then we're doing the right thing. Now, let's follow this conversation. If I answer yes, which is the only correct answer, there's only one answer for that question, that is yes. The person will turn around to someone else and say, I spoke to the rabbi, and he said he would consider smacking his wife. Now, that statement is a lie because he's using the word considered in two different shades of meaning that are very different. And let's explain, spell it out, and we'll get a sense of where the fallacy lies. I can ask somebody, is there any way that 2 and 2 equals 5? The answer is no. In the mathematical system, it is an impossibility. So there is not even a theoretical possibility 
um, th- that that answer would be right. But uh, let's say in the question of what is morally correct, um, there are no hard and fast rules that I could a priori put down and say absolutely not. And for instance, let's take a very simple case. Let's say your wife is sleeping, she's in a very deep sleep, and there's a fire in the house, and you yell her name, she doesn't wake up. up. Smacking her the best thing you ever did. Uh, yes, it's a very crazy circumstance, but it's very, you can't pin down um, moral issues. And somebody it might make a case that, that it's a very good thing. I don't know. I don't have the ability to say no. So if, you spe- if you're speaking to me in very abstract, conceptual constructs, sort of mathematical formula, there is no formula that a priori says smacking wife is absolutely wrong and the system does not allow for it. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't know the proof to that. But somebody would ask me from whatever you know and have thought about and have understood and have read and have heard, do you think that there's a chance that smacking your wife would be a positive, permissible, allowable thing, my answer would be a very firm no. I am 100% convinced from everything I've seen, heard, observed, taught, learned, etc., etc., that it is wrong. I mean, obviously normal circumstances. Um, you know, let me fire out. But, so now, what the person did was, he asked me a question which is rigged because the word consider has two meanings. It has an abstract academic meaning which means if I can prove to you that smacking a wife is allowable, permissible, and positive, then he's asking it as a dry hypothesis. Um, Do I have any formula that precludes it automatically the way that the mathematical system precludes um, dividing by zero or that two and two would equal anything but four? The answer to that is no. And I would have to say, the, the, my only guide to what I do is what is right, what is emis, and therefore I've got to, uh, and therefore whatever is emis and right, w- I will do. But if the person asks me, do I think in everything that I know that it's correct, the answer is no. Um, that's, so that's one point. So, so it's a, it take, let's go back to the question about Torah again. When someone asks me if I can prove to you that Torah is not true, would you believe in it? The answer has to be, there's only one correct answer, that is no. Because whatever, whatever argument you have for Torah, if it is not true, by definition, it's not true. So, and the logical, dry um, question, the way it's, it's framed as, as a dry, logical thing, then the answer would be, then I certainly would not believe in Torah, certainly would not keep Torah. But if, if the person uses that, whether it is own mind or to others, and turns it around and says, okay, I, and the rabbi said that, you know, it, it's an issue that has two sides to it. Well, it has two sides to it on a dry, logical, mathematical structure. It does not have two sides in my sense of um, what do, I, what do I, from everything that I've known, seen, heard, etc., etc., do I think that there's one in a million chance of this proven? The answer to that is definitely no. But it's a catch for it's important to diffuse it and understand it. I once heard a very similar um, point I really liked a lot. 
somebody challenged Alan Dershowitz to debate the issue if um, if uh, the Holocaust existed or not, if the Holocaust is true or not, or something like that. And he was in the same catch-22 situation. Um, if he says no, that means that he's not open to the truth, he's not open to proof. I mean, scientists have believed many things and have been disproven, <coughs> so why wouldn't you? On the other hand, if he, if he does agree to debate it, the agreement itself is some sort of... Um, the, the agreement itself is some sort of acknowledgement that um, th there is a possibility. So the, the possibility in a logical sense and the possibility in a colloquial sense become mixed up. Possibility in a logical sense means is there any a priori rule that eliminates it and the, uh, the, the possibility in a colloquial sense is do you think that there's any possibility it's true? And those are two different things. He answered very smart. He said he definitely would debate the issue but only as part of a three-part series. And the three-part series goes is the world round or flat? Did slavery exist in America? And did the Holocaust exist? He, he, and that, I think, was a very good answer in the sense that it, um, yes, if somebody were to take me to, to, to somewhere in the world and it would be a cliff and the world would end there, then I would have to say, yes, I've been taught um, nonsense. You know, all the stuff the geography teacher me teach me forever is a shaker. If someone were to bring me to that edge of the world and I see everything just falling off, Listen, I mean, you know, that's the, that's the way it is. But what do I think the chances of that are? Um, quite slim, put it mildly. Um, you know, did slavery exist? Well, one can, you know, one can raise the question. It's, it's, it's logically a legitimate question. Do I think in the sense of the reality I live in that there's any, that there's any question? The answer is no. So, uh, you know, he, I think it was, a, he put it very well in perspective, and the same is true here. I want to add a few more dimensions to this question because it, 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 what it serves to emphasize, besides this particular point about the difference between dry logic and real-life reality and the confusion of terms, because we use terms both in the colloquial sense, in the formal sense, um, and, and in the slang sense, and, and when you ask the question, you kind of slip back and forth between the two of them. Um, I'd like just to flesh out that it's a real-life situation, and uh, this is a um, and and uh, these are the situations where these questions most of the time come in. So here's a boy who's asking this question: um, Would you believe? Would you, if you thought the Torah was false, would you believe in it? If I proved to you, he asked the question. That was the only question. If I proved to you the Torah is false, in this boy's mind, and um, proving that it's false is, means that I have a very good kasha. How could there be this if this? Proven to you. Um, and that's another fallacy, and it's a piece that we spoke about in the beginning. Um, real things in life don't easily fall under, I have a question that can't be answered, checkmate. In chess games it works like that. Um, in mathematical puzzles it works like that. In real life, there are very few checkmates. Um, I have a cousin of mine who is a physicist, and he was once sitting at our table as a guest and discussing a, a, a very important theory in physics and some of the questions and some of the, the issues with it. And someone sitting at the table asked him, 
um, well, it's a very good kasha, why don't you just scrap the theory? And he looked at him and said, you know, we live at this theory. Tens of thousands of things work extremely well and are explained by it. So, so when we have a problem or two, you need to make a decision. Do we try to solve the problem or do we junk the theory? Um, let's translate it in, in, in a way that makes sense to us. You hire a new worker. A week after, after, the, after the work started, you find him taking a little vacation during work time. So you fire him because as far as you're concerned, um, the person's a loafer. If you have somebody who's been a real solid worker and, and 10 years later you see him take a little vacation, you say to yourself, there's a problem I've got to solve. There's this context. Um, real life does not uh, allow itself for that type of, if it's proven, then next. <coughs> a computer algorithm, a mathematical formula, um, and a chess game do lend themselves. If there's, if there's one problem in a computer program, the computer is flawed, period. And, and the, 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 you, it, it is not a good program. If a formula doesn't work well, well once, then it's not a good program. But um, it, when you take something in the context of uh, many experiences and many different uh, um, and, and uh, many different background proofs, so the word proof becomes um, it, it takes on a very different meaning. And a question or not a question is not going to decide any one particular issue. So that's the second layer. Of, of that part of the question, a second word that that um, is the is um, a key word. When the person says, "If I prove it wrong," the word "proof," as used by the person, is a question. If the um, word "proof" um, in the context of the events is meant to portray a much larger um, body of experience. We have 3,000 years of experience with Torah and it has established itself in many fronts. So we take the questions within context. It, this boy is a teenager, teenagers are very impatient and one bull session will determine whether Torah is true or not. So that's a second issue in that type of argument. There's a third point and this is a hidden point and it's also an important point bearing in mind when you discuss with people. Um, this is a boy whose mother has been very ill for the last few years, low Lena with a very difficult disease. And his formative years have been, um, have been spent with um, that illness hovering in the background. Now, that question is a product of a lot of anger. Um, and anger that it's very hard for teenagers to cope with it. As adults, we have a, it, it takes a lot for us to cope with it. A teenager is hard, uh, much harder. Um, even if you answer that question for that person, logically and philosophically, any way you want to, it's not going to be for that person's satisfactory answer. Because the real answer is, if it's true, then why is my mother going through such pain? And why am I living at the edge of a precipice? That's the real question. And it's just like when somebody's angry, he will break a, a, his plate, even though the plate didn't do anything to him. He will yell, he will snarl at the first person that causes pain, even though that person's innocent, because that's where we release anger, is by it it it, it all over. So here we have a, a a question, but there's so many layers of 
um, of meanings to it um, that we, we have to understand it properly. The first thing is defining the terms appropriately so that we don't confuse um, pure abstract things with, um, with, uh, with colloquial usage. Secondly is understanding the concept of proof, that proof in these things come in a context and you, you, you build the picture in a certain way and it is absolutely appropriate to use previous knowledge. Um, the, the, uh, if a person solved 100 problems on his test correctly and the 101st is wrong, then it's wrong. There's nothing to it. But if a person has been very honest and forthright and then you see something about him that raises a question, there is done as chaverol kafschus. Um, you know, e even even in a in a in a court case, e well, we try to look at the facts of the case without previous background. But then, when it comes to sentencing or something, we do look at the person in general. But in terms of even being done somebody on a personal level, kafschus, the kafschus takes into account the background. So there's that issue. And then, whenever you're talking to somebody, if the point is to have a good bull session, l'chai, you know, then that's fine. We don't need any of this. But if you're talking about an issue where you're on the side that's trying to teach somebody, convince somebody, explain to somebody, um, emotions and reason are hard for us to separate. And therefore, the person who, who, who is going through a difficult period is angry at God. He may not express it that way, and it'll come across in a question. And whatever answer you give is not going to work, because that's not the question. That was a, a question I wanted to discuss simply because it just came up now, and it represented a, a lot of points that I felt were worth giving over. Um, let us now go back to our uh, basic topic that we're, that, we're coming, that, we're, that we're talking about is Torah. We spoke about Torah being um, different, there's Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat Peh. Both came down from Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah and its Pirusha and so on. What else? What other points came down from Sinai? Um, what other things may be credited with being Torah Minashamayim, whether or not Moshe Rabbeinu came down with it? So let's, um, let's discuss two things that are um, that the Torah itself is the Torah itself will give credit to. The first thing is a Pasha Shoftim. It says, Novi Okim Lahem Mikaravachehem Komocha. I will give them prophets. Vinasati Divar Bifiv, I will put my words in his mouth. Vidibalem he will speak to them is Kalashat Savenu. And then it goes on by Isha Salishmal Dvarai, Shadab Bishmi and Khajmimo. The Torah says, I will Akanshbahu says I will speak to and through people like you um, and, and so on. That means the Torah has given a, um, a uh, what's, what's the right word for it? He has, has made agents of Torah that are called Nevi'im that will appear. And the Torah says how we test them. There's two or three passes and Shoftim and Rei and um, the, the, um, the Torah gives criteria for testing them. The Rambam says, 
and the Rambam makes a very powerful point of it in Sefer Mada. He says, how do we know actually that the prophet is telling the truth? There are signs. We test him to see if he knows the future, and if he knows the future, and he says he's a Navi, and he does not, sp- he does not preach to, um, against the Torah or Favor then he's a definite Navi, and uh, we accept his words. Are we 100% confident that he's honest? And the answer the Ramam says is, we are 100% confident that the Torah said that, that, that what he says we should obey. If we follow the letter of the law, the way the Torah said to test him, and we do what he tells us to do, we are fulfilling Torah by extension. It's just like if um, somebody comes to me, if I, if, um, if I send a check to the bank, um, and it has my signature on it, so the bank has to verify it's my signature. And if the bank verifies it's my signature, then they have to pay out the money. If the bank says, you know, I find it very strange that you should be spending a million dollars to invest with Madoff. I think it's stupid. I'm not going to honor the check. The bank is doing wrong. If the bank honors the check, and then the guy comes to me with, with a taina, how could you le- clear a check to Madoff? The guy's such a gunner and so on and so forth. It's not his, it's not my problem, it's his problem. In other words, Nevoah is by Torah's words an extension of the Torah. So we believe in Nevoah as being Minashemayim, Torah Minashemayim, in the sense that Torah itself has extended Devar Hashem to come through a Navi. So w- it, it, we don't have to believe that Nevi'im were given to Hashem the way to Moshe the way they were written. Um, we spoke last week about Kol Mashetas Talmud Asid Lechadesh or Lahoros, but we do have to believe that the truth of Torah and Hashemayim extends to it. The Torah said, if somebody comes and you give him this test then I will speak through him, and you must listen to him. So we have Nevoah as an extension of Torah Shaim from the very words of the Torah Shem itself. It doesn't leave much room for doubt. You don't need, it's not a drosha, it's, a, it's, a, it's two parshas, three parshas, and and Shoftim, and so on. Yes? <coughs> so Rebbe, in that, basically, we listen to the Navi's words as the truth of the system, but not as necessarily Correct. objective truth. Correct. And if you want to bring the Ramu say for Mada, um, the, the so Pinchas mentioned the fact that we believe in it because of the absolute truth of the system of Torah Shaim, rather than the absolute conviction that um, the prophet is is uh, is true. Um, the Rambam makes this point, and he says it very very clearly, um, th- in in a way that does not leave any room for doubt. He says. Um, it's in Yisoda Torah, the eighth parak, and Halacha Beis. Nimsu elusha shulach lahem, asha shleach lahem, heima edol levosa she emes. Veinetzorach lasen ois acher. And he says, Sheheim vuhu edem bedova kishne edem shorodov echad beyachad, shakol echad mem edel chaver. This is he explains how we believe in Kalal Yisrael in Moshe Rabbeinu. And then he goes on. Nimsus Omer, Shekol Novi Shayamur Achamosha Benu, 
We don't, any prophet that comes after Moshe, the Ramam says, we don't believe in him because of the miracle. Because the miracle is not that, I, I don't say anyone that can predict the stock market tomorrow must be a prophet and we must listen to him. That's not correct. Um, because Moshe Rabbeinu in the Torah said, that anyone who listens, who um, anyone who comes and does this nace for us, the, the, not the nace, the os, it's an os, th- we must listen to him. So what we're doing is a kiyum of Moshe Rabbeinu's Torah and not the nevuah. Kimo, he says, Just like the Torah said, if two of them come, we must pass like them. It's hard for me to say we're going to be trying somebody for capital punishment. And two witnesses are coming along and saying, yes, he did X, Y, or Z. Can I say with 100% conviction that that's the absolute truth? No. But the Torah said that in that case, that becomes the legal truth or the truth that the Torah wants. That's it's in this, by the same token, we've got to listen to this Navi, even though we don't know if he's telling us the truth or it's a kind of kishuv. Um, and the corollary of it is that when any religion comes and tells us, and we'll speak a little bit more about this when we compare the Torah and other uh, uh, religions, if anybody comes and he does miracles, or let's not use the word miracle, let's use act actions that cannot be explained by the natural system we do not um, we do not trust in that They're not a sign of very much um, they can be done through tricks I don't know I'm, I'm sure many of you have been to magic shows and you know I, I, I've been to a, to a show where the person cuts the lady in half in two pieces and I could not find anything um, fake about it, neither can anybody in the audience. Uh, so if this person wanted to, he could then force the Torah on us. The answer is, I happen to know he's a magician and he's a showman and I know that there's a great trick involved and, you know, and so on and so forth. But, um, but, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe there is a supernatural force. Supernatural force to divine moral authority do not necessarily... Th- th- there's a big gap in that proof. So therefore... Um, when somebody says, well, so-and-so came and he did great miracles, believe in him, we never, ever have believed in great miracles. And we'll talk about it more when we discuss the, the, you know, the evaluation of Torah versus other religions. But understanding it means a prophet draws validity from the pre-certification that the Torah gave to him. Not because inherently a man that can tell the future is worth listening to. Yes? Perhaps <coughs> this is sort of a corollary, but <coughs> with Moshe Rabbeinu, he was the one who brought us the system in the first yes. place. So we spoke about before how all Chal Yisrael heard Anochi v'lo Yelacha, and everything else was Hashem to Moshe and then Moshe to us. So we heard that Moshe was speaking with Hashem and Hashem was speaking with Moshe, but how do we know that Moshe said what Hashem told him to say? Um, so the really the beginning of that Rambam, the, the beginning of that Peiches spells it out in the sense that 
he says, we heard HaKadosh Baruch Hu say Moshe Moshe. That also. In other words, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Moshe is going to be my counsel. He's going to be my spokesman. So the personal experience that we had at Sinai gave us the validation that Moshe Rabbeinu is bringing the exact word of God. And Moshe Rabbeinu in his Torah enumerates one of the um, points is, is, is a Navi. So the, um, the, the, the Maimon Har Sinai was the personal experience that the trust that Moshe Rabbeinu, if God appointed him as a spokesman, then we believe that he's telling the truth because this is the only, this is the first, this is the point of origin of our relationship to God and to Torah and that has to be true or else there'd be no point to giving the mitzvahs and so on. And, um, and, and that's, where, that's where we get that belief in. So it's very basically saying that if Moshe, quote-unquote, went off the derech, you know, a couple of years later, we would have known about that in some way, yes. form. Yes, well, yes, you see, and, and you actually see, he, he, Moshe Rabbeinu, this is one of the points we'll speak about also later, Moshe Rabbeinu was criticizing the Torah, and, and uh, there are no punches pulled. I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu is told because Yan lo emantem like Whatever, whatever, it, whatever happened really, the Torah says Yan lo emantem like Dishani. You're not going to go down to throw. I mean, he was punished terribly and held up in shame. And yes, it's his madre. It's everything. All, after all the answers said, the Torah pulled no punches, and that's part of our sense of emes for the Torah. But Akadosh Baruch Hu said, and this is just like we we, we postulated. There must be a way for God to communicate with man, and there must have been a point of communication that's absolutely true to become the standard for everything else. This is it. So we have the Torah that was given to us, the explanation of mitzvahs, and the, and the Navi who will act as a spokesman. In the parish of Navi, we also have Lotosev, Lotigra. You cannot, a Navi cannot add mitzvahs and cannot take away mitzvahs. One of the rules that Hashem gave us is that in terms of the volume of permanent mitzvahs, the Torah is absolutely fixed. And therefore, a prophet that goes against that is automatically, by definition, a false prophet. We can add uh, Torah, we can add, uh, add hak mitzvahs, we can add rabbanis. That's, that's a topic to discuss on its own. But still, the main point is that the Navi is bound by the rules that were set before. A Navi has no validity because... And just because a person did a miracle is not proof. It's interesting, it piques the imagination, but nothing more than that. There's one more element that with the same level of extension was given, um, was, is Torah Menashemayim, also by extension, and that is the first Parshan Shofim. Now, let's, let's read it. And again, we're going to try to read this like Torah Shabbat people. Not Torah Shabbat because this is the part of Torah Shabbat which validates Torah Shabbat It says, um, mishpat. If there's something that you can't figure out in terms of judgment, ben ladam ladam, it's something that deals with blood, ben din ladin, something that deals with litigation, ben nega lenega, dive rivas any types of arguments and fight, vekamta, you get up. You'll go to the place that the Torah designated, which is always it's, it's is, a, is a phrase, an idiom that means um, that's, that's its meaning all over the Torah. 
you come to the judge or the Kohanim Levi, Vidarashta, you shall request enlightenment. They will tell you all of the Mishpat. You will act upon what they tell you from that specific place. You shall keep whatever they tell you. So let's review what we have here. If the Torah is given to personal um, interpretation, let's take the Karoi point of view, where the theme of the Karoim was learn the Torah well, and as you understand it, so shall it be. Then this is um, th- th- then, then this parasha has no meaning. What's the issue? Um, do as you understand. Well, everybody take out the Chumash and look it up. The Torah says there is a truth in the Torah and one must resolve it. It's not open to personal interpretation, but there is one instance, there is one um, locus of truth decider and one condition is that they, that they are in the Harabais and they are called Shoftim, Kohanim, and Leviim. And you go there and their instruction is binding. Not only is it binding, but if you don't do it, you get punished by death. So that's an incredible, it, it's an incredible parasha. L- let's think a minute about the ramifications. If I eat a piece of Chaza, Chaza Shalom, I get Malkus worst case scenario. If I'm not sure that something is chaz or not, uh, there's somebody found a new animal, sort of a semi-chazer of sorts, or there's meat that's been processed, and we're not sure if gelatin is a dinner that. And I feel that it's, it, that it's, um, that it's also to eat, and some people contest it, and we have this argument. So we go up to the Besden, Besden God looks into it, and he says, it's mutter. I, I come back home and I say, Bezna Gadol doesn't know what they're talking about. They're full of politics. They're maratzim. It is us to eat. I'm chayiv misa. Or, and, or vice versa. They said it's us to eat. I think it's mutter. And I eat it. So the suffix chaza becomes not only malchus. I'm chayiv misa for it. The Torah put tremendous emphasis on it. It can't be, so, so you see that this issue transcends whether Chazer is good or not. The worst Chazer can be is Malkus. But Sanhedrin Chazer, Chazer Sanhedrin Paskin is Osir, or Mutter, becomes Chayab Misa. We're obviously dealing with a fundamental of Torah, and it, the issue is not because I've eaten something I shouldn't eat, or not eaten something that I can eat, but rather because I have pushed a fundamental de- of, of Torah. Now, um, what, are th- what are they been about? So, so we now have a second validation of, 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 of an entity, and that is Bezna Hagadol. You have Nevoah, and you have Bezna Hagadol. Both have been validated and, uh, and, and as being ex- Torah, Torah that obligates us to listen to them, and it's by extension from the Torah itself. 
what exactly are, are the general categories that this Bezdin can actually uh, rule on? So the Rambam lists it, and again, if they're inherent in the Psukim, we'll, we'll, we'll try to explain where it is in the Psukim. The Rambam is in Hilchis Mamrim, which is in Shoftim, where he deals with Sanhedrin, and then he deals with uh, people who are Adas, and then he deals with Mamrim. I, I will we'll read it inside because this is very, very, very important and fundamental. When we talk about Torah Shabbat, what are we talking about? We're talking about this. It's Perek Al-Vachal. Bezn HaGodl Shebe Shalayim Heim Iker Torah Shabbat. When we talk about Torah Shabbat, Torah Shabbat is Bezn HaGodl. That is Torah Shabbat. The repository of Torah Shabbat. Torah Shabbat is within, is found within the Bezn. Veheim Amude Hoyro. Um, and they are the pillars of Psak. Umehem Choku Mishpatat Choyisrael. Valeim Hifticha Torah. The Torah depended on them. And the word Hifticha here can mean many things. It can mean the Torah itself says, I rely on them. It can mean the Torah promised that they'll be, that, you know, true to Torah. Shenem Alpea Torah, Sheruchu Zumitzas Essay. Vechol Hamamin Bemoshra Bedova Torosso. Anyone who believes in Moshe and his Torah, must rely on their psak. This is by extension of Torah Minashemai. Then he says, whoever doesn't listen to it is over on, on a love. And then in the middle of Halacha Beis, the Ram explains what are the elements of empowerment. What, what are the areas that they're empowered? If they come out and say it's good for the economy to pass a stimulus package, must we listen to them? If they say that um, people should, uh, I don't know, people should shovel the snow away, what areas are they empowered? So there are three areas. Things that they have heard, Torah Shabbat is not written. So there are times, like in the Gemara, two different schools have what seems to be different shitas. And just like I say for Torah, the halacha is errors creep in, and we keep evaluating by the majority of Sefer Torah. So we keep always, whenever we have a, a problem in, 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 a, in a word, we go bust the row. What do you do with Torah Shabbat Peh? So the first thing is, so that's Bezna Godel, are Devarim Shalom Dosopia, things that they have heard in Torah Shabbat Peh. Two, when uh, when a lacona of the Torah or an apparent lacona of the Torah it reveals itself, what is, is electricity usur or mutter? Is it fire? Or is it not fire? We can we can put it this way. We can put it the other way. So the Bezin Hagadol sits on that issue. They use their das to compare analogy, drushos, and so on. They either, he said, Shalom do mi pidaitam ba'achad min amidah shatorni jashbem v'nir b'nesh So it's not that they have the memory of it coming from Sinai, but their mind adjudicates something and comes up with a certain psak. That's the second area. And third of all, the echad varim shasom siyag Torah. They can legislate various, um, very things to shore up the preservation of the Torah. 
ad hoc rules, regulations that are needed to preserve Torah. And the Rambam lists three things under that. All of them are the Rabbanans. So if somebody doesn't like Hanukkah Licht because he wants to go see a movie that he really, really likes and, um, and he goes to see the movie, the movie is a terrible movie, all he's over is the Isser of not liking Hanukkah Licht and the terrible movie also, maybe some Isser. But if a person doesn't want Hanukkah because he says, you know, rabbis a thousand years ago are not the ones that tell me what to do. I'd rather go sit and learn a black Gemara. That person is Chayv Misa. So, so because the Rabbanan have the right and ability to enact binding Zeres. And Arei Omer, and then he puts it into the Pasuk. Arei Omer al Torah ashe Yerucha. The word Yerucha means, like Torah means to tell you what to do. Torah is instructions ashe Yerucha. These are the things that they enact whose purpose is to strengthen the Torah and to make takanas for the benefit of the public. The second thing is, Mishpat implies something that you adjudicate, something you use your mind for. Mishpatim are those, are those dinim that have seichel. So that's all of the, those are things that you, that they use their das to, um, to evaluate and to adjudicate in the Torah. Mikola the word Yagidu is like Haggadah's Edus, it's testimony, you're simply relaying information, and that is Zua Kabbalah Shekiblu Ishmi Piish. So we have, in the big picture, we have two extensions of Torah Menashemayim. If you believe in Torah Menashemayim, Torah has told you that Nevi'im, that Amenave B'Shem Hashem, and meet the criteria, they will be coming with Hashem, and you're obligated to listen to them. Bezn HaGadol, when it's in its form as Bezn HaGadol, it sits in Harabayis, you know, with all the halachas, and so on, they have three areas where their word becomes Torah, and Torah Menash find by extension. Um, the 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 um, correct version of what is the Torah Shapenos at Sinai, the basic explanation, like John called it the Mitzvah Pirshel. The rulings on the application of Torah to new areas and new questions that hadn't been given before and and um, how it's you know and how it's applied. And the ability to legislate takanis and xerism and hagim for the benefit of Torah and the general tzibur, those are also areas that the, that they are empowered to do. Because yes, um, just sort of a clarification. We're talking about the importance of terms. Yeah. So when we use the phrase Torah Pei, Rebbe was saying from the Rambam that the based in Hagadol, do you find that is Torah Pei? I guess the way I'm hearing from Rebbe is. There was Torah Shabbat Pei that was given to Moshe Rabbeinu yes. at Harsinah that had absolutely nothing to do with based in Haggadah. But as time goes on, based in Haggadah B'Yushalayim is the repository of Torah Shabbat Pei and also the expositor of additional Torah Correct. Shabbat Pei. Correct. And, and, and to put it a little more clearly, um, if, 
you know, when when we say Torah um, Shabbat was given to Moshe was Hamitzvah Upirusha, and by the way, it was also given to Yitzchak Midas the Klolam how to dash. So in in a sort of latent way, it was also given the expository part of Torah. But and right now today, where is Torah Shabbat? I can I point to a sefer Torah and I say Zosa Torah. So I know what I'm talking about. But the Torah that's given to Moshe is a wonderful thing. But where is it? I, it, it, it? If I don't have a yardstick that says it's got to be this, then I'm stuck with the same issue of says who. Of course I believe in Tarsha Valpeh, but I don't believe that what I heard from you is Tarsha Valpeh. So there, there, there's sort of a problem. So that's why the Bezen HaGadol for us is the correct version of what Tarsha Valpeh was to Moshe. Because or else we'd be stuck in the same conundrum again. I believe that there was Torah, I believe it was Torah I just don't believe that what you're teaching me is Torah Shabbat so, so it's a repository, but it becomes the yardstick being that Torah Shabbat is not written. We don't have a work, a physical piece of paper that I can say, a parchment, and say, this is it, Fezosa Torah. It, it is, the, the, the Torah Shabbat lies, is written in the words of the Sanhedrin rather than on a piece of parchment. Okay, one more, one more sure. question. With the Gderas and the Tkanos. Yeah. So, those are sort of Adarabanan, but Adaraisa. Correct. The, the, the Marik, I believe, raised this question of when would one be over the Doraisa and when would be over the Rabbanan. For instance, um, we passed in Sahra Rabbanan Lakula. There are many, many differences in halacha between Rabbanans and Doraisas, trade Rabbanans and so on. So why isn't every Durabanan a Doraisa? That's the way the question is put, more or less. And the answer he gives uh, is, it depends what the issue is. If the problem is the cautious of a particular ingredient, if it's a Durabanan, Durabanan set up their system to work with some Durabanan Kula and et cetera, et cetera. If the issue is, do Durabanan have the ability, if a group like the Karoyim or Reform or whoever it might be, or, um, their the position is that there are but rabbis have no right to make that takar in it. Then, it, then they are over under the raisa. So it, it's just like if if somebody breaks the law of a country, the punishment is commensurate to the law. If someone says I do not recognize the authority of the United States to make the law, that's sedition and and rebellion. So it's a very big difference where the problem lies. Okay.